BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald faced truth. Hour two of the show. Thanks for being here. Coming up at 5.15, our coverage live from Westwood One for Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers here in Portland on the, the flagship of the BFT radio network here, 750 The Game, and streaming for free as well on 750thegame.com if you're so inclined. It's a good one. Finally, a good Thursday night matchup. I'm hyped for it. I'm excited for it. In a moment, we'll talk to a good friend of mine, Curtis Rogers from Seattle Sports. 710 in Seattle. Mike Parker was excellent moments ago. If you missed the conversation with Mike, voice of the Beavers, you can find it wherever you get your on-demand audio on the uh, the BFT podcast and the podcast network there. It'll also be on 750thegame.com. Talked at length about a variety of things, including UCLA's departure, uh, the passing of Mike Leach, and also what's at stake here for the Beavers against Florida coming up Saturday. Steven, good stuff with Mike Parker, as always. Uh, what'd you make of what he had to say? And the Damian Martinez conversation's interesting. I, I know you've talked about it. John Cazano's talked about it himself of, hey, the Beavers, they better play defense. They don't want to let Damian Martinez get poached by some other school with more money. And I've always kind of been like, dude, let's chill, okay? You don't have to raise the alarms every time Oregon State's got a good player. Where do you land on that? Yeah, I mean... I think Damian Martinez is going to come back to Corvallis. I have no reason to believe he's not going to, but I do think in this day and age of college football and college athletics, you do need to play defense, mm-hmm. and you need to stay aggressive on that side and try to— You need to play offensive defense. Offensive defense, because you—yeah, exactly. <laughs> that could be the name of my NIL group. There, the offense other, defense. The offensive defensive <laughs> the NIL offensive group. defensive collective. But you, but you need—like, you do need to, though, because, like, there's going to be people out there, and, you know— during the offseason, Dalton Kincaid of Utah, he talked about how Alabama came after him. And there's been other reports of guys mm. already in the portal saying, yeah, I've been offered. Mac Brown said this before the ACC championship game. He said he talked to some of his players, and he asked them straight up, hey, have you been offered by other schools? And he said, yeah. So like you, I've, so I imagine this probably happened to Damian Martinez, like he's been talked to. And if you're Oregon State, you got to keep that guy. He's awesome. Um, as Mike Parker said, the best freshman running back in the nation. Like You no. can't really argue that. So... Um, I thought that was very interesting because he acknowledged it. He acknowledged, like, you have to – you got to be a part of it. I said, hey, am I naive if I think hey, Damien is, is a lifer in Corvallis? And he's like, he's like yeah, uh, you're definitely naive. Yeah, like that. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I think that's real. So I, I thought that was uh, very interesting that he would say that. And yeah. I, I like the honesty. Like, it seems very honest that it coming out of Mike Parker. We had a caller call in, wanted to, you know, just make a comment to him about how he loves Mike Parker because he's a fan. Like, you can just tell when he's announcing the game he's a fan. You can tell in those interviews, like, he does love the Beavers. And he wants them to do so well. So, like, shout out to that guy who wanted to talk to him, but uh, mm-hmm. we ran out of time. But Mike Parker's the best, man. He's yeah, awesome. He's phenomenal. So, uh, glad to catch up with Mike. That podcast uh, will be out there uh, shortly if you want to check it out ahead of 11.30 Saturday morning, Beavs and Gators. And speaking of speaking honestly, speaking of excitement, speaking of buzz, we are just a little over an hour away from kickoff between the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, pleased to be joined now by a good friend of mine, a, a former staffer on this show here on the BFT. Uh, he works with Seattle Sports uh, 710 up in Seattle. He's a kid from Kent. 
on Twitter. He is uh, C-Rodge. Curtis Rogers joining us on the program ahead of Seahawks Niners tonight on Thursday Night Football. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us, man. How are you? Judah, whenever you send that bat signal up, uh, I, I'm always there to answer. <laughs> Glad to be on with you. And uh, it's, it is a big, big day here in Seattle. Uh, it's a big, big day across the NFL because it doesn't get much better than this matchup we're going to see tonight. Al and Kirk finally got a, a really good one, you know? They've been waiting for it. <laughs> uh, does I, it... I wonder how much Al's getting paid by Amazon uh, because <laughs> some of these matchups seem a little beneath him. Yeah, yeah. And he'll let you know, too, right? For sure. That public address guy is so annoying. Uh, that's <laughs> that, that was his tone last week. Uh, hopefully there won't be any more annoyances for him tonight. Does it feel like a must-win game? Curtis for the Seahawks to make the playoffs? Yes, it, it definitely does. Uh, I was looking at their playoff odds today. I was tinkering around on 538, looking at their playoff projections. If the Seahawks win tonight, it, it goes up to 77% chance uh, of them making the playoffs. And if they lose, it drops all the way down to 34%. You can pretty much kiss any hopes of them winning the NFC West goodbye. Uh, then you would be looking at maybe a seven seed, maybe a six seed, depending on how things shake out in the NFC East between the Commanders and Giants. So, yeah, it is absolutely a must-win tonight for these Seahawks if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. And it is wild to think we're talking about the Seahawks at this point in the season, you know, on the cusp of the playoffs. Uh, I remember uh, joining Canzano earlier this year talking about how, you know, by the time this game rolled around, you know, who knows, maybe the Seahawks would be playing for draft positioning. Uh, They're not. The Broncos are playing for the Seahawks draft positioning. So, uh, it's just wild to see how far this season has uh, has come and then just see where the Seahawks are right now in a place that, I mean, yeah, it, 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 Seahawks fans, I think, do feel happy to be in this spot, but I know they are craving some playoff football. Oh, man, you're you're uh, you're telling me. Uh, you mentioned your Canzano appearance. It's always great to have you back on our airwaves. Uh, you were here for about a year at some point, right, a few, a few years back. Is that right, that you worked with yeah. you? Yeah. It was it was less than a year. It was we were I was thinking back. It was 2017, so it was about five years ago. Uh, I was ripping it up with you guys down there. And I always look back very fondly on my time uh, in Rip City with with you guys over at the game. You and I interacted uh, regularly, but I don't remember getting to bond uh, as much over our common Seahawk fandom. Um, but you are a kid from Kent on Twitter. Uh, lay it out for us for those that don't know. Uh, your your Seahawk fandom. I'm also I'm assuming that you are a Seahawk fan. I'm not sure that we've ever like gotten to to bond over the Seahawks, but you've got to be a Seahawk <laughs> fan, right, Curtis? And, and it, with that premise, how far does your Seahawk uh, fandom date back? And and what are your early Seahawk memories? If we're, absolutely, I'm a Seahawk fan, and I'll tell you how far back my Seahawk fandom goes. My very first jersey. Uh, was a Rick Meyer jersey. Yes! That should tell you how far back it goes. Uh, I was born in the fires of the 90s, uh, which was the probably the worst time to be a Seahawks fan. So <laughs> uh, this past decade of excellence from the Seahawks, uh, you know, I always tell myself, like, man, you know, seven-year-old me would have gotten a real kick out of this. Uh, so any type of sustained success from this ball club, uh, is something that, you know, I think a lot of fans around here are, are like, why would you ever complain about this, uh, considering that, yeah, they're right back in the thick of things this season. And uh, when you experience 
Seahawks football of the 90s of the Kingdom era, uh, anything, uh, any any kind of winning record is just so much better than what it was way, way back then. Your first Seahawk jersey is my first Seahawk artifact, uh, a Rick uh, Meyer, like, framed card that had, like, some, you know, golden signature, some fake golden signature underneath it, but... Uh, that was the same first Seahawk quarterback for me. <laughs> and I always joke, like, my first Seahawk heartbreak was uh, that I can, like, clearly remember watching and crying about was the uh, Vinny Testaverde sneak uh, in the Meadowlands. Was that, I want to say, 98 or something like that? Maybe maybe 99? It was a Dennis Erickson Seahawk team. Oh, man, I did not have a good day that day. But uh, that is the backdrop of whatever Seahawk success that we get. And, of course... The uh, the the 2012, 13, 14 run, uh, pretty unbelievable. And here we are, man. This is a new era of Seahawks football. 2022 has been the, the start of an absolute uh, new chapter uh, post-Russell Wilson. We'll come back to that in a moment. But I wanted to ask you about your expectations for this team. I assume that before the season, they were similar to mine. Maybe five, maybe six wins <laughs> total. They blew those, you know, expectations out of the water. But now, Curtis, I find myself in danger of, dare I say, being disappointed if they, you know, God forbid, don't make the playoffs. That can't be fair to this team, but it's almost like like they're a victim of their own success from an expectation standpoint. Do you feel uh, at all similarly? I, I do. I think as the season started, I was in lockstep with you, Judah, thinking it was about a five or six win team. But when they got off to that 6-3 and three start, I think it was very fair for expectations to change. When you look at how good they were playing in the months of October and early November, uh, this looked like a, a bona fide playoff team. It looked like a team that was going to challenge for the NFC West crown. They had a, a lead in the NFC West, and then they sort of faltered here. Um, I think it was fair for expectations of this ball club to change, seeing uh, just how good they looked during that stretch, not just beating teams, but beating teams comfortably. Uh, they beat good teams, too. They beat the New York Giants, who, yeah, they may not have been as good as that 6-1 and one start, but they're still in the thick of the playoff chase in the NFC. Uh, you know, this Seahawks team right now, we know what they look like on their best day, and unfortunately we know what they look like on their worst day, and we've been seeing that more often than not lately. You want to see them get back to that, that level of play they were at earlier this season. I think a big thing that's going to help them tonight to get back to where they were is the return of Kenneth Walker. Uh, I think that's going to be huge for this offense, considering how non-existent their run game has been in his absence, uh, considering what the threat of the run game does for the Seahawks passing offense too. It really opens things up for Geno Smith. who's had to force things over the last couple of weeks. We've seen him uh, have some issues with turnovers. So, I think, yeah, it is fair to be expecting more out of this Seahawks team as the season goes along, considering what we know of them and we know what their ceiling can be. For Geno Smith, it's been so much fun to see him uh, thrive most of this season. But to your point, there's been some speed bumps. How much in your mind is left for Geno to prove, uh, both tonight and over these last four regular season games, to ensure that he is maybe not the long-term future, but the mid-term future at quarterback for the Seahawks moving forward? I think if he gets this team into the playoffs, it is a slam dunk that he returns next season as the starting quarterback. 
for this team. Uh, I think if they end up maybe a game out of the playoffs or if they're still alive heading into Week 18, I think it's a very likely scenario that he returns. Um, but if they do falter, and they've got three tough games in a row, if you count tonight, you've got San Francisco, Christmas Eve at Kansas City, and then at home against the New York Jets. Uh, I mean, that is not an easy stretch of games prior to that Week 18 matchup against the Rams, uh, you know, divisional opponent who gave the Seahawks fits a couple of weeks ago. Uh, these four games could really go any way, and I do wonder if Geno Smith is going to be the guy that they, you know, hits their wagon to beyond 2022 if those four games do not go the Seahawks' way. Uh, I think what Geno Smith is as a quarterback now will probably be better than any production you get out of a rookie quarterback in 2022 or 2023, I should say. Uh, but this is a, a really stacked quarterback class. I mean, you've got some big names available early, Bryce Young, D.J. Stroud, Will Levis, uh, to name a few guys. So they're going to have their, their pick of the litter, obviously, with that Broncos pick being where it is. It's right now number two, could be anywhere between two and probably like five or six uh, at the end of the season. So they're going to have a, a tremendous amount of options at their disposal, and who knows, maybe – they use a pick to trade down in the draft, get a quarterback, maybe their second pick in the first round. Uh, maybe they trade Geno Smith. Maybe they franchise him. They're in a very enviable spot right now in terms of the quarterback's position because you have a great in-house option in Geno Smith, but you could also really set yourself up for the future going forward. Uh, I think Pete Carroll, though, at his age and where he has where he's at in his career, might be a little more risk-averse, maybe wants to go the safe route and bring back Geno Smith next season, run it back, see what they got in him, and uh, you know, franchise him or something this offseason. Don't do a super long-term commitment to him or maybe give him a two- or three-year deal after this season. Uh, that's something that I could see happen. Uh, I think that, that might be the most likely scenario, too, because Geno Smith at, at one point this season was in MVP consideration. I don't know if he's there right now. Uh, but this next month of games, these four weeks that remain here uh, in the regular season, are going to tell a big, big story about his future with the Seahawks organization. Curtis Rogers, Seattle Sports, 710 ESPN Seattle, joining us on the BFT. Nubian for Gonzano, Seahawks, Niners, Thursday Night Football, coming up tonight, 515, right here uh, on the game. Uh, Russell Wilson, Denver Broncos. Curtis, what a bizarre year. What a bizarre few months it's been. Uh, since the trade was announced uh, back in the, the late spring. What have you made of it all? And I know you've got unique background, uh, used to having worked with Jake Heaps at uh, Seattle Sports, and Jake, of course, decided to make the move to be Russell's personal quarterback coach in Denver. Uh, from your vantage point, what's been going on there, and uh, what kind of perspective um, you know, can you enlighten us with, <laughs> given your background with Jake and just everything that you know as a Seahawk fan uh, going back a ways with Russell Wilson. Yeah, I, I think we're all just stunned to see the fall of Russell Wilson's production. Uh, I think we're also stunned to see this Broncos team that looked like they were just a quarterback away from contending in the AFC West. Uh, now they are hitting the reset button in a big way. They've already traded Bradley Chubb just to recoup a first-round pick. Uh, I don't think it's likely at all that Nathaniel Hackett returns next season. I think he's one and done. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Um, but, yeah, I, I think with Russell Wilson right now, uh, his mobility just seems 
to be completely shot. And that was such a big part of his game. That's how he was able to keep plays alive for so long here in Seattle. Uh, that's how he was able to, you know, find guys out on the move, moving the pocket, keeping defenses uncomfortable. He doesn't have that aspect of his game right now. Um, but also I think part of it has to do with guys in that Denver locker room just needing to know how to win, needing to know how to learn or needing to learn how to win. They've lost so many close games this year. They've lost so many fourth quarter leads this year. Uh, winning is, is a learned thing. It's not really something that is, is second nature to a lot of guys in the NFL. And if your roster is full of guys that haven't made the playoffs in so many years, I think it's been, what, six years since the Broncos have last made the playoffs, uh, there's a losing culture that, that can take over, and, and not one guy can really change all that. Also, I, I don't think Russell Wilson is a great fit with Nathaniel Hackett. I think Nathaniel Hackett was brought in to entice Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver, and that w- never happened. Rodgers stayed in Green Bay, so the Broncos had to settle for option number two and Russell Wilson. It feels like they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, and it's not working. And Look, the Broncos have made a much heavier financial commitment to Russell Wilson than they have with Nathaniel Hackett. You've got a new ownership group there in the Walton family. Uh, They've obviously got deep pocketbooks, so I don't think they're going to hesitate to make a change at head coach at the end of this season. Um, I I wonder, though, who's going to want to take this job because, you know, with Russell Wilson clearly not the same quarterback that he was in Seattle, uh, who is going to be able to maximize his skill set? He's got such a unique skill set as it is. Uh, you know, he wasn't able to have you know a, a, an explosive offense here with Shane Waldron, whereas Geno Smith, who is a different kind of quarterback, seems to be getting more out of the Seahawks offense than Russell Wilson did in his final season in Seattle. So, I mean, it obviously it's one of 32 jobs. It, you know, anytime an NFL head coaching job comes up, it's highly sought after, but boy, you've got to be really confident in yourself as a coach, in your game plan, in order to get the most out of what this Broncos team uh, could possibly be. But right now, it, just, it is not working in Denver. Uh, and I think Nathaniel Hackett is going to be the guy that, uh, that that sees his time there end before Russell Wilson. Were you surprised at all at the uh, amount of stories or maybe the attention to the stories that, that came out throughout the year? about Russell's former teammates uh, not exactly jiving with his personality or uh, his leadership style at times? You'd always heard whispers. There were guys who would say things kind of in passing about Russell Wilson, and it was like, really? What do you mean by that? And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, it's it's nothing. And then all of a sudden you start to see, especially in that week one matchup, uh, when a, a huge number of guys from the Legion of Boom era were in the stands and were just, you know, having a heyday on social media watching the Seahawks beat the Broncos the way they did. Um, and, and now, you know, Richard Sherman is all over the place basically telling you, I told you so, I told you so. Like, this is not a guy who you build a franchise around. Um, it, it, it's interesting because that Legion of Boom era team, they were so competitive, so hyper-competitive with each other and I think they looked at how they were always having to battle for their spots, whereas Russell Wilson, after he won the job in 2012, was basically you know, assumed to be the starter. They never brought in anybody to push him. And, and they kind of felt like they, that Russell Wilson was being treated differently than the rest of the locker room, um, which, I mean, look, quarterbacks are always treated differently no matter where you're at 
uh, in the NFL. And, and maybe that was a harsh reality that some guys hadn't come to at that time. But, uh, you know, look, there was a lot of questioning of whether Pete Carroll and John Schneider were the right guys for this job uh, going forward after the 2021 season, which ended with a 7-10 and record. Um, as we know, they picked Pete and John instead of Russ to go forward with. And that has turned out to be the absolute right decision for this organization. Um, but I, I think those of us on the outside were kind of struck by the strong reaction of those guys. But now it's kind of like, oh, maybe maybe they were onto something, and we should have maybe been listening a little bit closer <laughs> over the last few years because they seem to know uh, a little bit more, or at least have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in that locker room. And uh, I can tell you this: it, they're just inside that building in the Seahawks organization, uh, there's no step, there's no walking on eggshells anymore. It feels like everybody's just kind of glad to have that era maybe in the rear view. They're able to focus now on, on the future of this organization rather than kind of holding on to the past of what that era was. Yeah, between the early returns on the Rust trade and the early returns on this past draft class, Pete and John got me back. Curtis, <laughs> this draft class looks phenomenal uh, that they were able to pluck in uh, in 2022. As we uh, as we look at tonight's game, then um, this Brock Purdy guy, the uh, the media hyping him up a little too much, Curtis. I mean, he won a lot of ball games at Iowa State. <laughs> I will give him credit for that. He, him and Matt Campbell and Brees Hall, they they had something good going over in Ames, Iowa. Uh, so shout out to them <laughs> over there. But, uh, you know, I think he's been going along here with the training wheels a little bit the last couple of games. This is his first road start in the NFL. Uh, and, and it's coming in one of the most daunting environments in the league. I can guarantee you Lumen Field is going to be an absolute madhouse tonight. I don't know if Purdy has ever played in an environment like this. I don't know what uh, what it's like in Lubbock, Texas. I don't know what it's like in Norman, Oklahoma, or in Stillwater, or something like that, uh, over in the Big 12. But it's definitely not uh, as cushy of an environment as it is playing a home game at Levi Stadium. Uh, you know, I will give them credit, though, beating two pretty good teams, or at least coming in relief against Miami, uh, helping the 49ers get that victory, and then obviously going toe-to-toe last week with Tom Brady and the Bucks. Uh, I just think the Bucks are kind of broken right now. I just I don't see them... Uh, being much of a threat in the NFC. Now, uh, it's foolish of anybody to pick against Tom Brady for sure, but I I just don't see it from them this season. I think Brock Purdy is a guy that can sustain. I don't know if he's a guy that can elevate and make this 49ers team better, and he's going to have to do it tonight without one of his biggest weapons, Debo Samuel, uh, which is a great thing to have if you're a, a rookie quarterback, somebody making your first couple appearances in the NFL. Now, he still has Christian McCaffrey. He still has George Kittle. He still has Brandon Ayuk. But Debo Samuel is the guy that you have to account for on every single play, no matter what's going on offensively for the 49ers. I expect them to run a lot tonight. I expect them to challenge the Seahawks' rush defense, which has been porous, uh, to say it nicely. (laughs) And I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be somebody that's going to get the ball a lot. He's going to get a lot of handoffs from Brock Purdy. Uh, they're going to try and limit the um, opportunities for the Seahawks defense. An opportunistic defense, despite the amount of yards they've given up, they've been able to generate a lot of turnovers this season. So I think we're going to see Christian McCaffrey tote that rock a, a lot tonight. Man, 
I, I'm trying to, uh, you know, tell myself I'm not being naive here, Curtis, because you're right about the rush defense woes of Seattle and the rushing potency of San Francisco's offense. Uh, that alone, you know, the, the 49ers are favored, and rightfully so. It is a three-point spread, but I'm telling myself that there's more ways to win a game than just uh, just running the football, right, and uh, and stopping the run. I'm trying to convince myself that there's a little magic left in this Seahawk team on a magical primetime night, right? Pete Carroll teams are made for primetime games. They're made for primetime games at home. They're made for when their backs are against the wall. This is how I'm talking myself into this game. Do you, do you, feel, uh, <laughs> do you feel like it's a similar opportunity for the Seahawks tonight, and can they get it done? It's a, it, it, they absolutely have a shot tonight. I don't think there's anybody counting them out going into this game, despite how uh, they've looked against the run and despite how they've looked against teams that they should have beaten. You know, they've lost to the Panthers. They've lost to the Raiders. They're 0-4 against the NFC South, which is the worst division in football. Uh, but yet, outside of those four games, they're, what, 7-2 and against the rest of the league? They've won. Their only loss in the division this year came against the 49ers. So uh, I think there is a big opportunity here for them tonight. Um, and as we know, Pete Carroll has had a lot of success going up against Kyle Shanahan in his career. Uh, for whatever reason, Pete has been able to outcoach him quite a number of times. Now, back in week two, it was all 49ers. That game wasn't even close. The only score the Seahawks got in that game was on a return block kick. So you're probably going to see a little more offense from the Seahawks tonight against the 49ers. But, man, that 49ers defense, uh, they are really, really good. Yeah. Uh, they have not given up a lot of points this year. I think outside of what was it, that Chiefs game, the most they've given up this season is 28. Uh, and they've, that I think it was just one time, too. So uh, uh, this 49ers team, really, really good. But I think the Seahawks do have a fighting chance tonight. Um, and it, it's all going to be – it's all going to come down to their offense being able to hang with San Francisco. I think San Francisco is still going to be able to put up points on Seattle. Um, can Geno Smith not turn the ball over? Can Kenneth Walker get things going on the ground? get the ball to DK, get the ball to Tyler Lockett, and get this offense going. Um, they've been able to score over the last few weeks. That has not been an issue for them. It's keeping teams off the board. Uh, so, you know, you got to kind of play to your strengths there. And the Seahawks right now, their biggest strength has been able to put points on the board. Yeah, they're going to have to do that again tonight. Hair is starting to stand up on the back of the neck a little bit as we get closer, Curtis. Uh, I had to, I had similar vibes in week one, as kickoff got close, I was like, oh, man, here we go. Here we go. Like like the Super Bowl's about to start. And now I'm getting similar vibes as uh, we approach kickoff for tonight. Uh, hey, thanks so much for laying it out for us, for giving some Seattle flavor uh, to the Portland show and, and the Oregon people tonight. We appreciate it. And uh, have fun in your professional roles this evening. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon, Curtis. Thanks for the time. Judah, anytime. Oh, I'm so excited for this one. I hope everybody down in Portland is too. Uh, really looking forward to covering this game. And, uh, always a pleasure joining you. There he is, Curtis Rogers on Twitter at a kid from Kent, Seattle, catching three tonight at home against San Francisco. We'll bounce a break, come back, talk about that a little bit more, and continue to talk Beavs Gators coming up Saturday. 503-417-7575. Newbie in for Canzano on the BFT.